Good morning, Harmony. I want to especially welcome all of you who don't necessarily call Harmony your home church, but have recently joined us online. We are glad that you are all uh, watching today. Now, as you can tell, I'm not Chris Carr, but my COVID haircut has gotten me one step closer. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is John DeLuke. I'm the executive pastor of ministries here at Harmony Bible Church. And what that means is I get the privilege of helping lead our church and our staff as we try to uh, excel at what Chris talked about last week, being a worshiping community on mission. Now, don't worry, Lord willing, Pastor Chris will be back next week. Well, unless he continues to hit his head and I think Tim might even have a a video plan that involves bungee jumping and juggling knives, which I'm going to highly advise against. But he'll be back next week, Lord willing. Now, before we actually get into our text this week, I need to set the record straight. There was something Chris shared two weeks ago that was quite troubling to me, and that was about the Yankees. Now, sometimes I think Chris forgets we're in Southeast Iowa. I believe for most of you watching, it is very clear that the best franchise in all of Major League Baseball is clearly the St. Louis Cardinals. Amen? Yes, we must acknowledge they have the second most championships, but they've spent incredibly less money per championship than the Yankee. Also, they're historically the best National League team, which plays real baseball, where the pitcher actually has to bat. Now, I hear that's changing soon, but... And oh, by the way, one more thing. The St. Louis Cardinals are the only team in Major League Baseball to have a winning record in the World Series against the Yankees. So I just thought I'd set the record straight. Now, I'm aware, you know, there's probably some Cubs and some Royals fans out there. Maybe even a White Sox fan or two, if anybody likes the White Sox. And I I know some of you are watching, so don't worry. I won't leave you out. There's hope today. It's not October after all. Sorry. Okay, today in our passage, though, we're going to talk about the hope of the gospel. Therefore, there's hope for everyone today. Okay, now that I've offended everyone that's not a Cardinals fan, let me just remind you, Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, right? For all of us are one in Christ Jesus. So whatever your baseball team is this morning, there's neither Yankee nor Cardinal, Cub nor Royal, for we are all one. In Christ Jesus. All right, let's get a little bit more serious as we continue our Sent series with Acts chapter 3. Our passage today involves an incredible miracle and an even more important message. A miracle and a message. So please get your your Bibles out, open them up to Acts chapter 3. Now let me set the scene a little for any of you that have joined us recently. You see, we're looking at the beginning of the church You see, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus promises the apostles that they would receive the Holy Spirit. And then they're going to be Christ's witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Then in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit arrives. The apostles receive power by the Holy Spirit And they begin to witness in Jerusalem. Peter gives his first sermon where 3,000 souls are added to the kingdom that day. And last week we looked at Acts 2 and how the church was devoted to worship. They were worshiping God together. They were devoted to fellowship. They were in community. 
And they are devoted to mission, being Jesus' witnesses. Now, one of those verses from last week really sets up our passage today. Acts 2, verse 43, tells us this. It says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The beginning of Acts 3 tells us that one of these wonders and signs, it zooms in on one of these wonders and signs that was being done through the apostles. So we're, we're still in Jerusalem. The apostles have started the mission God has sent them on to be his witnesses first in Jerusalem, then they're gonna go out from there. And God is doing many wonders and signs through them. So Acts chapter three, we have a miracle and a message. So follow along with me as I walk through the miracle first recorded in Acts 3 verses 1 through 10. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now real quick, remember the early church at this point is primarily Jewish people. Jesus was Jewish. The apostles were Jewish. They're still in Jerusalem and they're kind of continuing their normal rhythms of life. Likely going to temple three times a day to pray in the morning, the afternoon, and the evening. Let's continue. It says, And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. So you see in our story, we have a man lame from birth. And actually later in chapter four, we're gonna realize that this man is over 40 years old. This wasn't someone who recently got hurt or was recently injured and couldn't walk. This was someone who had never walked for over 40 years since birth. This man's life would have consisted of people basically carrying him to the temple during one of these times of prayer so that he could beg to money. You see, during these prayer times, there would have been a rush, a crowd of people. So it was an ideal time for this man to ask for money every day. And as we'll see, this man was well-known. He was recognized by all of the regular temple prayer attendees. And today in our passages, Peter and John are in the crowd. He asks for alms, verse four. And Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. A miracle. A miracle has occurred. I love this narrative. I love how it's laid out. Just imagine with me, right? There's a, there's a crowd passing by this lame beggar. They're all trying to get to the temple for prayer time. And if we're honest, right, many of them are probably trying not to make eye contact. You don't want to feel guilty by not giving money to the guy right before you go pray. And from the midst of the crowd, Peter and John stop. They, they stare at the man. And Peter says, look at us. I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Peter wants to make sure no one's confused of any other Jesus. Rise up and walk. 
Then Peter, with confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit, extends his hand and helps the man up. And immediately his feet and ankles are made strong. And he doesn't gingerly or cautiously get up. No, he leaps up, it says. Then he just walks right along with them into the temple, leaping, praising God. This man is is making a scene and everyone recognizes who it is. And let's not miss the significance of the miracle here. He didn't just heal the man's leg. The man had never walked for over 40 years. He didn't know how to walk. For anyone out there who's been through rehabilitation after an injury, you know it's not easy to relearn to walk. It's not easy to build back up the muscle memory. For some of us, when we get up in the morning, it's not easy to walk. Yet for this man, he was perfectly healed and instantly, he didn't just walk, he leaps. And everyone was amazed. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. God's on the move. And the power of the Holy Spirit's at work through his witness. A miracle has just occurred. A man went from lame and laying down to leaping and praising God. Now, this is subtle in our text, but for the Jewish people during this time, something significant, maybe even beyond the miracle, has just occurred. You see, a prophecy was just fulfilled. You see, we know that Jesus fulfilled many Old Testament prophecies throughout his life. But as Chris pointed out the first week of our sermon series, Acts, the book of Acts is about the continuing acts of Jesus by his spirit through his disciples. And this miracle is a continuing act, another fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Look with me, Isaiah 35 verses 5 through 6. says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. Here it is. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. And the tongues of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The lame man shall leap like a deer. You see this chapter in Isaiah that Peter's drawing to mind here is a picture of restoration. It's pointing to what God's people had been looking forward to, what they'd been hoping for. A picture of a a dry desert being transformed into a flourishing garden. The restoration and rescue of God's people. You see, through this miracle, the lame man leaping, Jesus continues to declare exactly what he was declaring at the beginning of his ministry. Mark 1.15, Jesus says this, "The, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The miracle indicates that the kingdom of God is at hand. The time has come. Now I know there's much debate and argument in Christian circles about miracles and healing. And maybe that makes us a little uncomfortable. But today, honestly, I'm not going to touch that. Because that isn't what this passage is about. Regardless of your stance on those things, Acts 3 is about the power of the Holy Spirit performing mighty wonders and signs through the apostles to validate their message and to make clear that the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus is the king. Jesus is the Messiah. The Savior of the world has come and his witnesses have a message. Their message is being confirmed. It's being attested to by these miraculous signs and wonders. 
You see, the, the, the Holy Spirit and this miracle are saying, hey, listen to what this guy is about to tell you. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Hear the message. Repent and believe in the gospel. You see, the miracle sets up the message. God draws a crowd with a mighty sign of his power, calling us all today to listen to his message. So let's read the rest of our passage, the message. Follow along with me, Acts 3, 11 through 26. It says, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astonished, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous when you asked for a, a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And I feel like now Peter inches in. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did all your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, you are the sons of the prophets and the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God having raised up his servant, servant sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. The message. You see, Peter isn't focused on the miracle. He isn't saying, look at me, look at what I did. No, he points everyone to Jesus. The message tells us three primary things that we're gonna look at this morning. It tells us first and foremost, and most importantly, who Jesus is. And it's going to tell us who we are. And then it's going to tell us the hope that we can have. So first, let's look at what Peter's message really focuses on, who Jesus is. Now, Peter provides a, a long list in this passage of who Jesus is. He actually provides us with seven descriptions or names of who Jesus is. We can maybe even break it down into more than that, but seven will be enough. And please don't get nervous. Each of these will be quick. But you see Peter like a good preacher. Even though it's only his second sermon, he's got the Holy Spirit and he's making much of Jesus. I want to encourage all of you throughout this week to really consider, to really meditate on these seven descriptions of who Jesus is. 
I wanna encourage you to, to write them down, underline them, circle them in your Bible as we go and really think about them. Let's dive in. Jesus is first the glorified servant. We can see this in verse 13 where Peter says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus. Jesus is the glorified servant. Peter, again, is pointing his fellow countrymen back to the Old Testament, back to Isaiah 52, 13, which says, behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Jesus is the servant that God the Father has exalted. Written about all the way back in Isaiah, some 700 plus years before Jesus became man. And this description of Jesus is an amazing picture of who Jesus is. You see, Jesus is both glorified and a servant. You see, Jesus demonstrates his humility by becoming a servant, becoming man, perfectly submitting to his father's will, yet he is glorified. He was raised from the dead and he has power and authority over everything. Power and authority to make the lame man leap and praise God. Jesus is the glorified servant. Two, Jesus is the holy and righteous one. Jesus is holy. To be holy means to be set apart. Jesus is set apart. There is no one like him. Jesus is holy. And he is righteous. You see, Jesus lived a life that was perfectly moral. Jesus fulfilled every commandment and acted in perfect obedience to the Father throughout his entire life. You see, the, the Jewish people were always trying to be righteous, well, at least they were supposed to be trying to be righteous, but, but Jesus himself is the righteous one. And brothers and sisters, his righteousness is critical because all of us are unrighteous before God. We need a righteous substitute. We need to be made righteous in order to not receive the wrath of God we all deserve. 1 Peter 3.18 says it this way, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus is the holy and righteous one. Three, Jesus is the author of life. This is a clear indication that Jesus is God and was with God in the beginning, like it says in John 1. An author is not merely a character in the book, but he is the writer and creator of the book. Jesus is the author of life. Colossians 1.16 puts it this way, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And I know when we think of the author of life, we like to jump back to the beginning in Genesis but Jesus is still the author of life today. Jesus gives new life. To be born again only occurs through Jesus. True life, eternal life is only found in him. Jesus tells us, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. For everyone listening today, if you want life, if you want eternal life, you must come to the author of life, Jesus Christ. There's no other way. 
All things were created through him and for him. Four, Jesus is raised from the dead. Now you may be thinking, well, duh, John. We know Jesus was raised from the dead. We just celebrated a few weeks ago with Easter Resurrection Sunday. But you see, this is a truth we've got to remember every single day. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper as we're gonna do later in the service. Yes, we're remembering Jesus' death, but it is worth remembering because he didn't stay dead. Our hope isn't just in the one that died, but the one whom God raised from the dead. And Peter is reminding those in Jerusalem who certainly would have heard a buzz around town since we're about 50 days past the resurrection. There's 500 witnesses who saw the resurrected Christ. Peter is reminding everyone that, hey, that one that you denied, the one that you killed, God raised him from the dead. In fact, I, I think there's almost a, a tongue-in-cheek thing here as I feel like Peter is saying, why are you so astonished and amazed that this lame beggar is walking and leaping, the one whose power just healed him? Jesus Christ, remember, God raised him from the dead. You think this healing is something? What about the one who conquered death? Jesus was raised from the dead. Number five, Jesus is the suffering servant. In verse 18, Peter mentions that the mouth, by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, meaning that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, was always gonna suffer. God has been making that clear for a long time, that Christ would suffer. Now this is again another description of Jesus that's pointing the audience back to Isaiah and specifically the passages that talk about the suffering servant. One of my favorite, Isaiah 53, five. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds, we are healed. Jesus is the suffering servant foretold by Isaiah so long ago and the other prophets. And Peter is telling the audience who would have known the Old Testament so well, Jesus is the one you've been waiting for. Jesus has fulfilled the suffering that the Messiah had to endure to bring us peace so that we all might be healed. And not just physically healed, but a much more important spiritual healing that restores our relationship with God. Number six, Jesus is the promised prophet. In verse 22, Peter quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 18, where Moses, speaking for the Lord, declares that God will one day raise up a prophet like Moses, a prophet that will speak for God and that those who listen will have life, but those who do not will be destroyed from the people. You see, Peter is pressing in the truth of how important it is to know who Jesus is. He's the way. There's no other way. He's the one we've got to listen to, the promised prophet that God spoke of through Moses. I feel like here Peter is pleading with his listeners, and he's pleading with us today, listen to Jesus' message, because it's a matter of life and death. And lastly, Peter tells us that Jesus is the offspring of blessing. 
You see, Peter has doing an entire Old Testament survey course in just these 16 verses. And lastly, he's connecting all the way back to the beginning of God's people with Abraham, Father Abraham. Right, kids? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And God promised that in Abraham's offspring, all of the nations on the earth would be blessed. Jesus is the offspring that brings blessing to all the nations. It is in Jesus that all of the earth will be blessed. It is through the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that salvation has come to the earth. And you see, one day, someone from every tongue, every tribe, every nation will be blessed and will be praising and worshiping Jesus Christ on his throne. Jesus Christ, the offspring that brings blessing to the nations. Now I know that was a lot. And I wanna encourage you to really think about these through the week. Peter has given us an amazing picture of who Jesus is. Peter's really enriching our vocabulary of who Jesus is, right? He's the glorified servant, the holy and righteous one, the author of life. Jesus is raised from the dead, the suffering servant, the promised prophet, the offspring of blessing. You see, Peter doesn't emphasize the miracle, but he instead, he emphasizes the miracle worker. The one who can provide everlasting healing, Jesus Christ. This is a detailed, awesome picture of who Jesus is. Brothers and sisters, this is some good news. But sometimes, good news is made even better. It's made even sweeter when we know and understand the bad news too. You see, our passage also has a bit to say about who we are. And I'll warn you, it isn't great. Now don't worry, I don't have seven points about who we are. Only Jesus is gonna get that much attention this morning. You see, in this passage, if we're gonna personally identify with any of the characters, the only option is really the men of Israel. The crowd of those who are astonished and amazed at the miracle. The crowd that Peter is preaching to. And Peter has fewer good things to say about them. You see, he calls them deniers of Jesus. Those who chose the murderer Barabbas over the innocent Christ. Who chose a destroyer of life over a creator of life. Even though they acted out of ignorance, he says, and handed Jesus over to be crucified, the reality is, Peter says, you killed the author of life. Now you might be thinking, hey, I don't identify most with them. I'm gonna choose not to identify with them. That isn't about me. I don't like that. That's gotta be about the Jewish people and the rulers of that time. I had nothing to do with that, right? Now, I said we, I'm including myself, I'm not calling any of you out, we're we're all in this together. And I'd even include Peter, right? Peter's calling them out for denying Jesus before Pilate. And I promise Peter has not forgotten that he himself denied Peter or denied Jesus three times. You see, this passage actually gives us a clear picture of who we all are without Christ. Who we are in the flesh, in our sin, without the Holy Spirit in our lives. Without Christ, we are rebels. We all deny Jesus. And the reality is, we all killed the author of life. 
You see, it wasn't just the Jewish rulers, but it was our sin. It was my sin that put Jesus on the cross. As we saw in Isaiah 53, 5 earlier, it says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The next verse in that passage continues, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, to John's way, to my way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. You see, in general, the the Bible lays out a pretty gloomy picture of who we are. We deserve God's wrath, his righteous judgment. As it says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, or Ephesians 2.1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But you see, just like the miracle that made the, the lame beggar leap for joy, the main point of the story isn't about him. It's not about the miracle. The main point of the story, the main point of the Bible isn't about us. It's not about who we are. It's about Jesus, about who Jesus is. It's about what he has done, about what he's doing, about what he's going to do. It's about the rest of Romans 6.23, the rest of Ephesians 2, that all point to Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23, right? It starts, for the wages of sin is death, but then it continues. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or in Ephesians 2, after it says we are dead in our trespasses and sin, in verses 4 and 5, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's good news. You see, this is the final key, critical point of Peter's message in our passage today. It's not about who we are. It's about the hope we can have. It's about the hope in Jesus Christ. Not because of us, but because of who he is. You see, despite Peter's strong rebuke, his convicting words that we would choose a murderer over the author of life, He points his audience and he points all of us today towards the hope we can have in Jesus. The hope that the early church was sharing, the hope that all of us who call ourselves Christians are called to be witnessing about is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Jesus is our hope. It's by his name that the lame man can leap and praise God. It is by grace through faith in Jesus that our sins may be forgiven. It's all about who he is. There's no other hope. And Peter in this passage to his countrymen, to his brothers in Israel, to the people, to the crowd, he calls them and he calls us today anybody who doesn't know Christ to respond to the hope. Listen again, you can follow with me. Verses 19 and 20, Peter says this, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets. 
long ago. Jumping down to the end of our passage, verse 26. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first, right? The Jews first in Jerusalem before they go out to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. You see, despite what has happened, despite what they have done, despite choosing a murderer over Jesus, despite killing the author of life, despite anything any of you have done in your life that makes you think that you're, you're too far off from God, that makes you think you're too messed up for Jesus, that your sins are too great to be forgiven, despite who we are, there is hope. And the hope we can have is in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16, one of my favorite passages, says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You know, we've said this many times here at Harmony. A simple way to think of the gospel is Jesus in my place. Jesus in my place. The gospel's good news. That Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead and for those who by grace through faith in him repent of their sins, trust their life to Christ, he grants them eternal life. You see in our passage today, the the healing, the miracle, it's just the beginning. It's the times of refreshing from Peter that he mentions for those who repent and turn back to God so that their sins might be blotted out. You see, it's just a glimpse of what is to come. It's just the start of the kingdom of God restoring all things back to how they are supposed to be. Jesus is sitting on the throne in heaven right now, the right hand of the Father reigning, but he will one day return at the time for restoring all things. And while we wait for Christ to return, he's calling us to be his witnesses, to spread the gospel to all nations so that every nation might be blessed. The hope we can have, brothers and sisters, is in Jesus Christ. I'm gonna close today with two very simple and very brief application points. First, Devote yourself to Jesus Christ. Know who he is. Know what he has done. Place your faith, your trust, and your hope fully in him. Be all in with Jesus. Be all in with the glorified servant, the holy and righteous one, the author of life, the suffering servant, the offspring of blessing, our resurrected King Jesus. Be devoted to him above everything else. And second, the theme of Acts, be his witnesses. Be sent ones. Like Peter, boldly but lovingly tell others about Jesus, about the reality of who we are and about the hope we can have. People right now are looking for hope. And if you know Jesus, you've got the hope. As you all know, we're living in some uncertain times right now. But if you're in Christ, you have a rock. 
You have a firm foundation, brothers and sisters, that can never be shaken. Because the one that you hope in, the one that we hope in, conquered death. I want to end today with 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57. It says, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our rock. Devote yourselves to him and be his witnesses. Let's pray.